I just wanted to uh, hold up uh, those that lead us in worship here over the last, uh, well, last month. Thank you. You have led me and you've led all of us in, in our worship. It has been a great, great time. Mountaintop experiences. You can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. You know, it's great to have those in our lives. A great vacation. Go off on a, on a, on a dream vacation, see the sights, and you just, uh, you know, wow. Uh, my wife and I went on an Alaskan cruise several years ago, and to see nature, ju- just the glaciers and the power and, and, the, and the whales and, and, you know, the pods of killer whales and I was, I was moved in my relationship with God. It, it was, it was, I stood in awe of all that He had, had created. To see the glaciers, they call it calving, where they break off and, and fall into the water is just an amazing, an amazing thing. Having a promotion at work or getting a new job, a, a mountaintop experience, something that, wow, I, I've, I've wanted this career, I've wanted this job getting accepted into the college or university that, that you wanted to get into, that has a great t- uh, campus ministry and, and you know, fulfill the, uh, the, the dreams for your life. You know, we all have different mountaintop experiences. A moving worship service. In a few weeks, a, I'm sure, a stirring conference. It will be a mountaintop experience, I'm sure, for, for a lot of us. But there will become a time where you've got to come down from the mountain. And that is where life is lived. I would love to stay in the mountain, but that's not where I live. I live in the valleys. I live in the city. I live where it gets messy. I live where it gets dirty. That's just talking about my life. Not not just the ones around and so last week we talked about this amazing mountaintop experience that, that Jesus and you know, uh, you know, a few of his closest guys got to experience with him. I'm sure Peter, James, and John, they, they, they thought, okay, I would love to stay here. Let, you know, again, he said, let's build some shelters. <laughs> but here's what happens the next day. The next day. Verse 37. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son. He's my only child. A spirit has seized him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth and it scarcely, scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. 
Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Again, Jesus has experienced this great mountaintop experience. He's coming down from the mountain. He has been glorified, and, and, and a voice from heaven has said, This is my son. Listen to him. And the, the next day, he comes down, and what is he met with but just pure pandemonium and craziness? It's an amazing and tragic scene. The condition of this only child who is literally being broken apart destroyed by this demon and the father is just begging begging for someone to help the desperateness the impossible condition and yet I love the strength and character of Jesus bring your son here and Jesus does what his own disciples could not do. He brings complete healing, restoration, and he restores the, the son to his father, and he ultimately restores his son to the community. And no wonder, no wonder they stand amazed and they see the glory of God. And this story becomes a challenge for all of us. And right up front, I'm going to tell you that no one in this audience today gets, gets out. Not one of us is unscathed or untouched by what this passage is going to teach us today. About our faith or about our faithlessness. Because Jesus will challenge every single one of us, whether you are kind of new to faith or whether you are an oldie and goldie in the faith. So we step back in this, this picture and we kind of look at and we take the lens back from who Jesus is talking to. We see in, in chapter 9 that he has begun to gather around him his disciples. In fact, at the beginning of chapter 9, he says, Listen, I am giving you authority to what? Drive out demons and to heal. And what did they do? They actually did it. They went around and began to do that so much so that even Herod himself kind of hears the rumblings and goes, who, who, who is this? What's, what's going on? And he wants to know what is happening. And he tries to get away. He, you know, the, the disciples come back and they report that all is being done. And this, you know, chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. And he, he tries to take them away and perhaps have a little retreat and kind of gather, you know, what have you learned? What have you seen? The crowds interrupt him and then he feeds this, this mob of 5,000 people. 
And then he tries to get the, the who, who does he try to get away again? He tries to get away the disciples and say, okay, guys, who do all these crowds, who, all, you've, you've been, who, who do they say that I even am? Some say this, some say that. What, what about you? What have, what have you seen? What have you seen in me? What have you experienced? What do you understand? What are your convictions? Then he calls them, and ultimately all of us, because of these convictions, these are the conditions that I want you to have if you are going to follow me. You must take up your cross. You must deny yourself. You must die. You must not be ashamed of me. What a challenge. In the last week we read about him going up into the mountain and being glorified and transformed. See, Jesus is beginning, if I can use this term, to pass the baton. He knows he is ultimately going to Jerusalem to die. He has already brought this up in this chapter. And so he's attempting to gather around him these 12 that he can infuse in them what really they need to grasp about who he is and ultimately the mission that they need to accomplish. Now think about that for a second. Danny in the communion talk listed off a whole great list of, of the, the challenge or the, the character of, of leaders in the Bible. Those Many of us know that kind of the traits and characteristics of these disciples. They were far from, from visionary. They were far from the leaders that, that, you know, follow me, here's the charge. We're going to even see next week, I mean, they're, they're fumbling and they're bumbling. They're, they, they don't know what they're doing. They're all, they're all over the map. And yet Jesus is really beginning to entrust himself to these guys. That's, that's mind-blowing to me. And so as I pull the lens back and as I look at this passage and I look at what Jesus is really trying to do, he is try, He's looking at these guys and he, and he says, you know what, guys? I expect faith. And that's the title of the lesson today. Great Expectations. Despite difficulties, despite challenges, Despite obstacles, Jesus expected them and He expects me to be faithful. And verse 41 really is the focal point of this passage. O unbelieving or unfaithful or unconverted and perverse, distorted, twisted, generation. He was talking to those disciples. Yeah, he was talking about kind of the, the, the culture with which they were a part of, but he's talking to them. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? And as we dive into this section, we, we, we understand that time after time the disciples just don't get it. Jesus has to challenge their paradigms and their thinking and reshape who they are and their understanding of who He is and what they need to become. And I think the lesson is true for us. 
And this, passage, this, this verse that I just talked about in, in verse 41 really is taken from a context in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And I want you to go ahead and turn back there. Keep your finger in Luke chapter 9, but let's turn back to Deuteronomy. You know, it's interesting that Moses himself during this time is beginning to pass the baton. He's passing the baton to Joshua. And Moses has shown God's law. He has shown God's glory to the people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says, What I am commanding you today is not too difficult or beyond your reach. No, the word is very near you. What is he saying? You can, you can do this. You can do this. In fact, I expect you to do this. It's not too difficult. I expect you to do this. The, the word is near you. But you have to listen. And you have to obey. Now, Moses, in this context of chapter 32, is calling Moses and Joshua to meet with them. And he says, I want you to write this down. I want you, I want you to write this song down as a witness against them. And let's read chapter 32, verse 1. It says, Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. Stand in awe. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. And the Israelites time after time after time had seen God's glory. But how have they responded? They have acted corruptly toward him. And to their shame, they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. Let's turn to verse 13. He made him ride on the heights of the land, and fed him with the fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the, the flinty crag. And, I mean, it, it talks again about God feeding and nourishing and taking care of them. In verse 20 it says, I will hide my face from them and see what their end will be. They are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. Verse 39. And I'm just skimming through this, just, just to highlight it. See now that I myself am He. There is no God besides me. And He'll challenge them at the very end. Take these words to heart. All the words that I have solemnly declared to you. They are not just idle words, but they are your life. Jesus totally meant this passage to bring to bear on his disciples, and he means this passage to bring it to bear on us. The Jews knew this, the, the, the book of Deuteronomy very intimately. And it was meant to be an indictment against their faith, just like God was challenging them back then on their faith. Guys, look at what you have seen. Look at how I have worked. Think about who I claim to be. What did you see that I could do? Did you see that, that I... That, and I'm talking about Moses. Did you see the great and miraculous things? 
Well, the same is true now with Jesus and his followers. Do you see what I have been able to do? Have you heard the words from my mouth? Have you listened to what even the demons have exclaimed and proclaimed who I was? Have you seen me calm great storms and, and waves and wind? Have, what, what have you heard? What have you yourself proclaimed from your very mouth that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One? Did you not see that I fed 5,000 people? Did you see how the parallels... You are an unbelieving and unconverted people and your faith is distorted. And what is he saying? By this time, you should have faith. And the fact that I've given you power, the fact that I've given you authority to drive out demons and you've already done that, really should be enough to challenge you now. So the question begs, why couldn't these guys drive out the demon? They were given authority, right? Jesus made that very clear. They were successful, right? Chapter 9 says that they, they actually went about from town to town, healing people everywhere. Why couldn't they do that? Well, we're going to talk about our faith this morning. And I wonder, you know, what is faith? And I wonder if our approach to faith or our understanding of faith is much like this kind of, this idea of telekinesis. That somehow, someway, if I think hard enough, that God will move something. That God will change something. And so it comes down to, I just haven't focused enough. No, it's all about who you focus on and whether you listen to what you focus on. Who you focus on needs to be God or Jesus. And what you focus on are the words that he says and tells us to do. And in fact, are we then being obedient to that? Because Jesus expected them to have deeper convictions. And one of the challenges to our faith is the fact of our own realities. I think it's even been brought up several times. We have ups and downs. We have our sin. We have our character. We're going to talk more about that in, in a little bit. But just like the disciples here, the reality is... Again, I'm talking about why they couldn't do it. This demon was destructive, right? Perhaps it, is, it, is, it, it, it was more than they've ever seen before. They tried, but they couldn't. Now, I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they lined up one by one. Okay, you do it. Okay, Thaddeus, you do it. I don't know how they did it. Are they all, all nine of them, you know, gather around? Okay. Nothing happens. They could not. It says they could not. They did not have the power. They did not have the faith. Perhaps therein lies the real reality. And a challenge for us is sometimes our victories limit us in the faith steps that we need to take in the future. 
And perhaps the victory that they had in their lives earlier, and the victory over demons, and the victory over disease, and the victory of success kind of in the ministry, and, and, and but they approached this, we got this. I got this. I got all this experience. I know if I say this, I do this, these are the results. And I think we can do the same thing. I got this. I've done this. I've, I've, I, what, in perhaps years or months or maybe even early, earlier, we acted on faith. Now we act on experience. And we don't have the power to do it. It's easy for us to do. Got several points here this morning about our faith. Number one, God expects growth in our faith. One thing I understand about faith that I don't always like about faith <laughs> in my own life is that I can't plateau. God will always expect me to grow and move forward. Great men and women in, of faith seem that God would always take them from one challenge to the next. He wouldn't let them plateau. Abraham's a great example. Abraham, I know you're comfortable here with your people, but I, don't, I want you to go up and I want you to leave. Okay. I know you're past the age of having a child, but you're going to have a child. Right. No, it's true. Stretch his faith. Well, I know this is your only son. This is the one that you've been waiting for for all this time. But you know what? I'm gonna, I, I want you to go and sacrifice that child. Do you see the steps? God wouldn't let him plateau. One step, one step, one step. And God challenges each and every one of us in the plateaus in our life to say, you need to take it to a different level. I think that was the expectation that Jesus had of his disciples. Are you taking it to the next level or are you settled, are you, have you settled here at the plateau? Have you settled with what your past experiences are? Or are you, are you willing to take it to the next level? Secondly, God expects us to act on what we already know. You know, faith to me, is the great equalizer. If you know anything about golf and the handicap system, you, you realize that uh, on any given day in golf, I'm assuming Dave Cable is probably the best golfer in, the, in, in, in our region. I don't know what his handicap is, but uh, let's just say it's five. I don't know if I insulted Dave by saying that, or, or he's, he's, he's a scratch golfer. That, that means that, that Dave, on most days, if you take his 20 scores, Dave will shoot five over par, 77. That's his handicap. That's, that's his standard for, for him. Now, you can have another guy who, who shoots kind of 30. So that, that person shoots 102. 30 strokes over what the par is. On any given day, that the standard is, the handicap system is... I, I compete according to that standard. And so if I'm a 30, Dave's a 5, I get measured on how, how close to that I am. So I can actually beat Dave. 
And those of us who are golfers would love to beat Dave. But the handicap system is, is, is this great equalizer. And I, and I hope I make the point is, is that faith is an equalizer. And that we all stand before God on a similar playing field. And here's my point. Well, I, I'm new to the faith. I don't, I don't have all this wealth of, of, of experience. Sean, you're in the ministry. You, you know your Bible. And, and, but I, I, I'm just new to this. And God says, Amen. Take that faith. Take what you know and you act on that faith. I don't expect you to be like Sean or Bill or Clay, but I expect you to act on what you know. If God is calling you to certain things in the Scriptures, are you acting on it? God says, seek Him with all of your heart. Are you doing that? How have you shown that you've done it? Are you, are you making God a priority in your life? Or have other things kind of come in the way? As, as you have sat down with the Scriptures perhaps and seen sin in your life, are you with faith making changes as a result of hearing that? Well, I can't possibly do that. No, you can. Because God says you can. And He commands you to do it. And He takes every single one of us where we're at and challenges our faith. The older disciple, you know, like, like Danny was sharing, I, I see what, you know, well, let me ask this first. What are you doing with your faith? The things we used to do by faith, those of us who are older, we sometimes now do by habit. I used to share my faith with anticipation that God would work. Now I just share an invitation. Or perhaps I don't even share at all. Why? Because there's just... I, I don't know if there's anyone even open. I, I, I've, I've shared... Trust me, I've thought that. I feel, I, I feel personally... I, I invite a lot of people throughout a week. Have my cards, I write them out and... Is there anyone open, God? Why do I do this? That's just a simple thing. What, what about... What about in other areas? Like, like Danny's saying, like, I see God working in other people. What about me? I, I see God doing things in other ministries or other Bible talks. What about, what about mine? And the challenge is, as Jesus challenged those disciples, He says to us, are you using and working with the faith that you have? And you've got to be honest with yourself. You know, I can guarantee, you know today whether you are acting on faith or not. Again, we go sometimes from being wanting to be used by God to wonder if we can be used by God. God expects us to act on what we already know. Here's another gut check. God expects us to have faith regardless of reality. What condition is this man's son? <laughs> Pretty hopeless. 
did Jesus let them off the hook? Okay, guys, I know this is a tough one. I know you've not seen this before. And in some ways, he does say, I got this, but he doesn't let them off the hook because it previously says, guys, you're unconverted. <laughs> you haven't got it yet. And again, for everyone in this room today, every single one of us is held accountable for our faith. Every single one of us as to what we are doing or are not doing with our faith. And life's realities, let's just, again, the older I get, sometimes it seems the more challenging it is as life's realities come to bear on our lives. And I and we are confronted with sin. Perhaps that's gone on and, and not changed. We're confronted with character things in our lives. And even this week for myself, I had an appointment and it's like, man, when am, Sean, when are you, are you going to get this? And there was a fleeting moment even this week in my, in my heart and I go, am I the right guy? I'm just being honest. And I go, that's crazy. God has brought me, God has brought you, God has brought, worked in your life and He expects you to work. He expects you to have faith. He expects me to have faith. He will not let me off the hook. But you don't know. He will not let me off the hook. Confronted with challenges, struggles. You know, I've shared very, very openly. My youngest son, his struggle in his faith, and his, you know, right now, no relationship with God. The decisions in his life that, as I talk with him, break my heart. And I want to help him. And the path that he's choosing, I. It breaks my heart. But do I get hopeless? Or do I get engaged? Do I act with faith? I, I don't see how... I, right now, there's times I don't see how God is going to do this. But if I get disengaged, it will not help Him. If I lose faith, it will not help Him. And Jesus challenges me and says, despite the reality. Have faith. What is that for you? What is that demon? What is that obstacle? What is that great challenge in your life? I don't know. I'm sure you do. What is that thing that you say, I don't think that God can work? In others, yes. In me, no. That is the thing that God expects us to change.
It's not comforting. It's not easy. I wish this were a faith-inspired, whoa, yay, faith! And this is like a punch-in-the-gut challenge on faith to me. Now, like I said, I promised you, no one gets out of this sermon unscathed and untouched. Here's my last point. God expects our faith to be lived out on the field. Again, I love the mountaintop experiences. They're great, and they're important, but that's not where we live. We live back in the town. We live down in the valleys. We come to church. We leave church. Is our faith tested here? Maybe in some ways. But our faith is tested when we leave the mountain. When we live our lives on the field. That's where we show our faith in action. Sports teams practice. They have their pre-pep talk before a game. And the coach gives the charge. And he, and he gets them fired up. But the game is played not in the locker room. The game is played not in, all, in, 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 the, in the times where all of the, the drills and things are talked about and everyone understands their assignments. But the game is played on the field. When they step out on that field or that rink or that pitch, whatever sport you want to talk about, that is where it is played. And that is where it is played in our lives. When we walk out of this building and we walk into the playing field of life, that is where our faith is tested. And so after a great worship, a great time that you spend with God, a great quiet time that you see God, you stand in awe of God, that you leave and you go, you know what, I can faithfully have that difficult conversation with someone that I have been avoiding. Why? Because I am going to have this conversation in faith. I am going to help someone who, who, who has some needs because I am going to act out on faith. I am going to call. I am going to encourage a hurting friend. I am going to do my best in those classes at school and I am going to invite my teachers. I am going to invite my, my fellow students to a Bible talk or to a teen devotional. Why? Because I have come down from the mountain, but I am living my faith today as I go to school. I'm living my faith today as I go to work. I will go after the sin in my life. I will go after a relationship with God if you are studying the Bible, and I will make it a priority. I will, not, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that I have a saved faith in God, a relationship with Him. See, God expects us to live our faith on the field. 
No one gets off in this sermon. I said it. Whether you're right now kind of young, this is your first time out perhaps, and, 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 but what will you do with what I've said today? What will you do with God's Word? What decision will you make as a result of that? God expects you to act on it. He expects you to grow. He expects you to step forward. Those of us in our, in our, who are older, maybe you're not older, just, but God expects things to happen in our lives, to drive out the demons that we are capable of driving out. According to your faith today, and here's my, my last challenge, what demons, what challenge, what sin do you need to go after and drive out in your life? What decision do you need to make by faith? And I challenge you to go after this one thing. Why? Because God has great expectations for our faith. But here's the thing. He also has great miracles waiting as a result when we step out on that faith. And God Himself will be glorified by those miracles in our lives. Amen?